Wellness Force Radio, episode 67. If you're a dieter, the dieting mindset essentially says, hey, Jade, hey, Josh, there's rules I got to follow, right? Give me the 10 rules. I'll follow the 10 rules, I'll get results. Give me the meal plans. Give me the recipes. Give me the foods I can and cannot eat. This is a dieter's mindset, and it's completely freaking wrong. It is the thing that keeps you stuck, and it's the reason why you go, oh, that didn't work. Let me go find another group of recipes and meal lists and foods I can and cannot have and maybe another workout. Being a dieter is really thinking that there's a rule book, that everyone's metabolism works the same, and there's not a rule book. There's a set of guidelines. What's up, my friend? Welcome back to another episode. This is Josh Trent, your host, and thank you for spending some time with me here on the podcast. This is where I bring you access to the most inspiring and passionate experts in both behavior change and wellness technology. Right now and every week, you and I get to come together to learn from these world-class leaders who are dedicating their lives to driving real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. I'm excited to bring you this episode by the show sponsor, Perfect Supplements, and I'm honored to stand with this company who walks the talk with their values of non-GMO, organic, and pesticide-free real food supplements that support us all on the wellness journey. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce. You can enter code wellnessforce to get 10% off your entire order. Today, I am so pumped to bring you knowledge and tools from naturopathic physician, founder of Metabolic Effect, health and fitness expert, and the author of both The Metabolic Effect Diet and his newest book, Lose Weight Here, Dr. Jade Tita. You guys are going to love this show. We talk about hunger, energy, and cravings, listening to your body's signals, how to decipher if you have metabolic issues that need more attention. But most importantly, towards the end of the show, we dive into something that is lacking in the fitness industry right now. And it's mindset around emotional intelligence, giving ourselves the permission to actually feel what we feel and creating health habits off of the most important thing that we have, which is our mind and our spirit and our body. Those three connected together. Stick around to the end of the show. You're going to love the information that we talk about in the last 10 minutes. A little bit more about Dr. Jade Tita. As I had mentioned, he is the author of The Metabolic Effect Diet. But what you might not know about Jade is that he had some struggles on his own. In medical school, he'll unpack what he went through. As a physician, as a trainer, in the trenches, going through his journey, it's a really awesome story from a really amazing and inspiring man. Let's jump into this powerful conversation with Dr. Jade Tita. Jade, welcome to the show. What's up, my man? How are you? Good to be here. I'm so excited. I spent a little bit of time with you in Santa Monica, got to know you a little bit, got sunburned, looked at your awesome CrossFit studio. <laughs> got sunburned real bad. <laughs> I got sunburned so bad. Um, but, you know, I'm excited today, man. I, I got your book, Lose Weight Here, read it, loved it, ordered another book, The Metabolic Effect. And today I'm just really pumped and honored and excited, kind of every word that you could describe for being excited about talking about these metabolic myths, you know, things that are blocking people that they just don't even know they don't know. Yeah, yeah. You've been online for like 13 years plus. And I'm curious, man, like with all the things you've put out, like what is something fun or something that most people might not know about you? (laughs) Well, I got a couple things, man. My last name means breast in Spanish. So you're talking to Dr. Breast. That's one thing (laughs) people don't know about me. I'll tell you what's funny about that is I'm, I'm Italian. I thought I had the coolest name in the world. Until I met my best friend in high school who was Colombian. And he goes, hey, you know what your last name means, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So that's, that's one thing about me. The other thing that people don't know about me is I'm a serious guy, man. I have a, I have a, I have a, 
a total four-year-old sense of humor. So if you catch me on Twitter every now and then and Instagram every now and then, you'll see some of my uh, ridiculous four-year-old humor. <laughs> well, I mean, we're all kids on the inside, so that makes total sense. Yeah, man, you got to laugh. I am actually half Italian. My good half kind of resonates with that sick humor, so it's all good. You're Sicilian, man, which is slightly different. Yeah, that's a to- <laughs> actually, if you were to tell an Italian, like, oh, they're Sicilian and you're Italian, it's two different worlds. Yeah, well, that's a lot of people don't know that about Italians, right? It's just like, oh, Sicilian, that's slightly, that's a little bit different, so... <laughs> We're brothers, though. Don't worry. We're totally brothers. I feel like we're brothers from a wellness mother. You actually have been kind of a unique source of inspiration for me lately. You know, just quickly, I'll share. I heard about you in 2012. I know you've been putting out content for a lot longer than that. But I came across your work when I was going through a transition as, as I call it like a recovering personal trainer. You know, and I came across your work combining emotional intelligence and personal development with this unique blend of learning about the metabolism and fitness. And this is what I'm so excited, Jay, to share, man, is this combination of unpacking these myths for the metabolism, but also putting in something that's really important that I don't see in the fitness industry that I want to compliment you on. And that's emotional intelligence. So really stoked to kind of dive into this today, man. Yeah, me too. I think to start, you know, talking about like in medical school, you actually had a bit of a challenge, like you were bartending. Tell us the story about like you overworking, overtraining, doing all these things and learning about this spark, like this genesis for for creating metabolic effect. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Prior to going to medical school, I was a lean, mean fighting machine, right? I was young. I was in my 20s. I started at 24. I never had a problem with my weight, man. I always had a six pack. I was just, I was jacked. I was strong. I was like 225, 5'10, 10% body fat. And uh, I just thought if people weren't doing what I told them to do, that's why they weren't getting the results. I just, I, I was arrogant and ignorant, the two worst combinations for a human to be in my 20s. And I just thought, hey, you're not getting results. You're not compliant. Uh, you're, uh, you know, just being lazy. You're a glutton. And then I started, you know, sort of getting into the weeds of medical school. And unlike a lot of my colleagues, I mean, I was taking out school loans and I had to work. So I would, here's what my week looked like, just to give you guys frame this for you. Full-time medical school, Monday through Friday. Um, Saturday morning, well, actually started Friday night. Friday night, I would go into the bar, depending on if I was the early bartender or the late bartender. It'd be nine if I was the early, 11 if I was the late, and I'd be there till three, four in the morning. Now, anyone who's ever bartended knows this. I bartended in undergrad as well. Then I would sleep, get this two hours, and then I would basically go to my gym job and start at six in the morning, and I would train a 12-hour shift. Sometimes I would train up to 24 people in that 12 hours because this was a 30-minute workout. And you didn't get breaks. You just hoped there were no shows, which was probably illegal at the time, but I didn't know it. Then Saturday night after that, I would go back to the bar. And I would do the same thing again and be basically at the bar again, really quickly try to get some food in me, you know, whatever. And then I would Sunday, I would sleep all day. And I did this for a period of six to nine months. And uh, my brother, I, I was also doing a lot of other things at the time, but I was stressing out. I, I discovered a place called Jamba Juice. Right? I don't know if you guys know Jamba Juice, the juice place. You guys <laughs> we talked know? about Jamba Juice before on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Jamba Juice. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, it's protein. I mean, uh, I wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing. So I caught wind that something was wrong. I started getting really fatigued. And my brother says to me as I'm walking out the door, he's like, hey, man, if you go to Jumbo Juice, bring me one of those juices back. Basically, he was pay- making fun of me because I gained about 30 pounds over a three-month period of time. And, of course, I was training and all that stuff. But I knew something was wrong. What year was this? This was back in 2000. This would have been what? 
uh, actually, no, this would have been, I started in 98. So this is about 2001. Got it. This is about 2001. And uh, I went down to the lab, got my blood work done. And I remember the numbers exactly because if you know anything about thyroid, my TSH was 11. Really, two is normal, uh, optimal. Four, after you get about four or five, you're hypothyroid. And my vitamin D, as in David, was 11, which after you get below 30 is really very deficient. And so there's no wonder I felt like crap. My thyroid was destroyed. I turned, I went from a lean guy in about six to nine months to a fat guy. Um, and my metabolism has not been the same since. This uh, got me to sort of think about that there's more to health and fitness than just eating right and getting your workouts in. Stress killed me. The types of foods that I were eating killed me. And all of a sudden, this light bulb went off. Like all these women I was dealing with in menopause and all these people who were overstressed, who weren't getting results, who were telling me they were doing everything right and not getting results, I was all of a sudden thrust into being one of them. And that changed everything for me. Uh, and uh, what I discovered is that uh, we are each very different, number one. And the metabolism does not work the way we think. It's not a calculator. It might function that way for some of us when we're younger, but it quickly becomes something other than a calculator as we get older. And those two revelations sort of helped me uh, create metabolic effect. The acronym is ME, which means uh, all about me, meaning you. And the best way to think about my company and the work I do is I, we're, we've been called the Sherlock Holmes of health and fitness because we basically help people be metabolic detectives to figure out what is not working for them uh, so they can discover what they need, the inputs that they need. And that brings me to sort of this idea where people always say, uh, and you and I think talked about this a little bit when you were here, they always ask me, they say, okay, I get I got to find what works for me, but how do I do that? And the first step to that is understanding that the metabolism is different. And I've accumulated sort of these five laws or five rules of metabolism based on the research and my clinical experience that I teach each and every one of my clients and my online, in my online programs. That becomes the first step because once you have an understanding of how the metabolism really works, now you have a fighting chance to deal with it. And I love the empathy that you come from. Because you're an empath, you actually taught me that phrase, which I didn't really realize till I'd spent some time with you. So thanks for that. But it's really caring about other people because you actually have been in the shoes. Like you said, you were like 5% body fat and you were doing all this work and you had these conditions with thyroid and whatnot. And then lo and behold, like here you are dealing with exactly what some of these women that are going through menopause are actually dealing with. So I think that's yep, really yep. cool, man. And I've, we've talked about this with many guests where when they had a struggle of their own and they can relate to their clients so much more powerfully. I loved in your book how you call it, become a detective, not a dieter. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, really, it's like this. Dieters go by rules, right? If you're a dieter, the dieting mindset essentially says, hey, Jade, hey, Josh, there's rules I got to follow, right? Give me the 10 rules. I'll follow the 10 rules, I'll get results. Give me the meal plans. Give me the recipes. Give me the foods I can and cannot eat. This is a dieter's mindset, and it's completely freaking wrong. It is the thing that keeps you stuck, and it's the reason why you go, oh, that didn't work. Let me go find another group of recipes and meal lists and foods I can and cannot have and maybe another workout. Being a dieter is really thinking that there's a rule book, that everyone's metabolism works the same, and there's not a rule book. There's a set of guidelines. What's the difference? Rules are black and white. They can't be changed. Guidelines are meant to be followed for of time, and then you can paint outside the lines. And so when you think about metabolism, 
dieter, stop following rules. Like there's this rigid, predictable, sustainable way that you're going to lose weight. That's not true. There's nothing predictable, linear, or fair about body change. It's just not. Instead, think about being a detective, which is really about using guidelines and what I call actually structured flexibility, which means, sure, we need some structure. Hey, here's where to start. But then we need to learn the skills to be flexible, to tweak, to adjust, to sleuth like a detective to find our own path. And so moving away from rules, which is the dieter way, and picking up guidelines in this structured flexibility approach, which is the metabolic detective way. Mm-hmm. And you have this cool phrase called heck. And I heard about this, you know, at the event where we had with Drew Canoli. You guys got to check out Organifi. We're going to link this in the show notes as well. Such a cool event, man. The first time I had seen you speak in person, we'll also link some more information about Jade's work, maybe some different videos from your speaking. But heck, unpack heck, why this is so important as a detective, not a dieter. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because we say, how do we know what works for us, right? Well, there's three ways that you know that something is working for you. You know based on how your body feels, which is subjective. You know based on how your body responds, which is objective, meaning am I losing fat or not? And you know based on biofeedback or I'm sorry, bio, uh, biomarkers like blood pressure, uh, vitals, blood labs, that kind of thing. So there's these three components. HEC stands for hunger energy, and cravings. It's an acronym, H-E-C, HEC. And this is the subjective piece. Your body is talking to you all the time. I call it biofeedback clues. If we're going to pretend we're detectives, right, we need to pick up clues from our metabolism. Well, our metabolism is sending those clues all the time. It tells us how hungry it is. That tells us something about its balance. It tells us how predictable and stable the energy is. That tells us something about whether it's imbalanced hormonally. It tells us about our cravings hunger, energy, cravings. If your heck is in check, your metabolism is balanced. Now, heck in check is a broad term. Those are the most important ones, but there are other biofeedback clues as well. Things like exercise performance and exercise recovery, things like mood and sleep and digestive function and uh, signs and symptoms like headaches and joint pain and things like libido, right? All these things are telling us about the vitality and the balance of our hormonal metabolic system. But hunger, energy, and cravings is the big one because these things change hour to hour and day to day. And so when you're thinking about being a metabolic detective, the first question you have to ask is, is my heck in check or is my heck out of check? Because here's the problem. Most people think the metabolism works like this. They think, okay, cut calories or burn them through exercise. And as a result of that, I'll lose weight. And as a result of that, I'll have a balanced metabolism. That's completely and utterly false and wrong. It actually works like this. First, get a balanced metabolism. As a result of that, you're more likely to eat less and be more motivated to exercise more naturally. And as a result of that, lose weight and keep it off for good. And so if we start with a balanced metabolism, we need to know, is heck in check or not? That's our hormonal system talking to us. There's a lot of people I know that talk about leptin and ghrelin and insulin Mm -hmm, and cortisol mm -hmm. and adrenaline and GIP and GLP and all these hormones. Well, we don't need to be biochemists to know if our hormonal system is balanced. All we need to know is, is my heck in check or is my heck out of check? That tells us if our hormonal metabolic system is balanced or not. And that's the first key that a metabolic detective needs to know if I'm starting from a place of strength or a place of weakness. If your heck is in check, 
Then you can push on your metabolism. Then you can cut carbs. Then you can cut calories. Then you can cut back on fat. Then you can try certain things. But if your heck is not in check, rest assured, you do those things and you'll push yourself more out of check, which is why 95% of dieters gain the weight back and 66% end up fatter because they do not understand it does not work the way they're doing it. Mm, man, I used to be 280 and I shared with you my story. Here I am, you know, I'm 36. And as I'm reading your book over the weekend, I'm literally thinking, oh my God, I've been applying all these old models up to this point. So I'm actually feeling like, wow, I just stepped into gold right here reading this book because I don't think my heck has been in check for the past three months. And I'm a wellness coach, so I'm helping clients. I'm looking at data all day long. And I'm like, wow, I'm like so thankful to come across this because this is something that I think we don't pay enough attention to in the industry. Like, how are we actually feeling? It's one thing to track plus and minus calories in, calories out. But one of the cool things you talked about was this Goldilocks zone. And you said it in combination with the nutrients that we're eating. Before we get into these five myths, can you just tell us quickly, like what you meant by this Goldilocks zone, how that relates to hunger, energy and cravings? Kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah, well, think about this. The metabolism, right? We used to think the metabolism was a calculator. Now, you know, that's wrong. I'm telling you it's wrong. You know, it's wrong because when you do it that way, you get rebound weight gain, right? So then we got a little bit more savvy. We said, oh, well, maybe it's not just a calculator. Maybe it's not adding and subtracting calories. Maybe hormones have to do with it. So maybe it's more like a chemistry set, right? And the problem is that's wrong too, because it doesn't matter if you're counting carbs to lower insulin and change the chemistry, or you're trying to manipulate, you know, uh, math. Neither one of those is going to create the effect that you want because it's the wrong model. So if we're going to use a simplistic model for metabolism, which we really shouldn't, but if we're going to, it's probably better to use a seesaw or a boomerang or a, uh, you know, a tug of war match or a pendulum. And that is about balancing the metabolism, which means what we want to do with carbs is we want not too much, not too few, but just right. What do we want to do with fat? Not too little, not too much, but just right. What do we want to do with stress? Not too little, not too much, but just right. What do we uh -huh. want to do with exercise? Not too much, not too little, but just uh -huh. right. And that's going to change for each person. So essentially what we're doing is we're looking at balancing this metabolic seesaw, which is the Goldilocks point. And so if you want to know how many carbohydrates should I eat, it's not a rule, have less than 100 carbs and you'll be fine. It's how many carbs can I have that keep heck in check and keep delivering me results? That's the Goldilocks point. And we need to be thinking about this. I'll tell you guys that one thing that's really interesting. Think about what the metabolism is designed to do. The metabolism could care less about your vanity concerns. It could care less. It could care less about your time constraints. The metabolism does what it does. So what does it do? The metabolism is designed to keep us balanced in homeostasis and help us adapt to the stresses of the world around us, whether that stress is sleep deprivation, decreased calories, over-exercising, emotional stress, regardless of what it is, that's what the metabolism is doing. That's what it's designed to do. And so here's what's really interesting. Take your typical couch potato, right, who eats more and exercises less. Is their heck in check or not? It's all over the place. They want burgers, fries, pizzas, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. At my fattest, my heck was the most out of check. But then take a dieter, right, who's eating less and exercising more. Is their heck in check? No, it's not. Not even close. It's all over the place as well. As well. Why? Because both of these states, the couch potato and the dieter, have lost their Goldilocks zone. Both of them are metabolically stressed and out of balance. And so what you want to be doing is you want to move back into that Goldilocks zone, get that seesaw balanced, 
Now, once you do that, now you can begin to apply the next stage, which is essentially, okay, maybe I'll cut carbs, maybe I'll cut fat, maybe I'll work on calories, maybe I'll up my exercise a little bit. But now you're doing it from a place of strength. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have these awesome starting line foods too, uh, protein, fiber, and water. These are the things that fill you up. And then monitoring the starch and the fat for satiation, for that feeling of, ah, you know, because we're all going back to this three-stage model. I I studied a lot of work from Charles Duhigg, uh, The Power of Habit. And he talks about, we have this cue, we have this response, this reaction to it, and then we get the reward. And it's this model that we see all the time. I don't care who you are or what you do. We're all looking for that deep breath. I'm just feeling like in this model, how do we know when to add in fat or when to put in starch? Do we listen to our body? Do we listen to our emotions? Like, how do we figure that out? It's three things. Here's how it works. So uh, just to kind of make sure everyone's with us, when you're talking about the Goldilocks effect, you start with the things that we know satiate you, which is a hunger response, satiation, how full it makes us. These are foods rich in protein, fiber, and water, essentially lean protein sources, tons of vegetables, and high water, low sugar fruits, things like berries, apples, pears, citrus, that kind of thing. That's a very paleo-ish diet, isn't it? Wild animals don't get fat on them. They're very lean. If you ever had elk, you're not getting bacon off of elk. That stuff is lean <laughs> as, as crap. Yeah. Right? It's just lean. Yeah. So you start there, but that's satiation. Everyone knows if someone said to me and you, they said, hey, hey, how do I lose weight? I need to, I need to get two weeks. I need to get in shape for my, you know, my high school reunion. Well, I'm going to tell them, eat chicken and broccoli. Eat chicken and broccoli all day. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows chicken and broccoli satiates the hell out of you. It will fill you up, mm-hmm. but it does not satisfy you. That's why people can't keep eating chicken and broccoli. So to satisfy you, now you need to take starch, fat, salt, sugar, sprinkle enough of that stuff on there like condiments to make your food taste good. So now you take that chicken and broccoli and you add some olive oil or butter to the broccoli, and maybe you add half a baked potato, and you maximize it so that it keeps heck in check, hunger, satiation, and craving satisfaction, and balances energy. That's how you begin this approach. Now, is there some trial and error in this? Yes, there is, and there's a model that I use that basically tells you when to adjust and how to adjust, but the point is this. Many people will say, well, this sounds like a lot of work. Here's what I tell them. Yeah, it's a lot of work for three weeks. And then it becomes very, very intuitive. And here's what's beautiful about it. Once you learn this process of tweaking and adjusting, when you have kids, when you're under stress, when you're sleep deprived, when you get ill, when you go through andropause as a man or menopause as a woman, you don't need to go find another diet. There's no diet that you find out there. You use this process to create a new one based on your new metabolic state. In other words, spend three weeks figuring this out, this process, and now you have a process that lasts for a lifetime instead of chasing around every new diet book. The truth of the matter is I don't want you to have to need my diet book. I don't want you to have to always go searching for another plan. People love this, don't they? It's sort of in our human brain. Mm -hmm. We want to Mm -hmm. find another program to do. Because if it's structured, then I'll just follow that and I'll be perfect. And then everything will be okay. Except that we need the flexibility part. And I'll even say this right here. You don't have to follow my book. Choose any structure you want based on your personal preference. I don't care if it's paleo, veganism, whatever you want. Low carb, high fat, you know, uh, low fat, you know, high carb, whatever you want to start with. Start with any structure you want and then learn this process to be flexible. Is it keeping my heck in check or not? If it is not, I need to adjust. 
How do I adjust? First, add protein, fiber, and water. Next, tinker around with fat, carb, salt, sugar, and you will find the foods that make you feel good heck-wise. Once you have that, now you can start thinking about, okay, now I'll start watching calories or now I'll cut back on carbs a little bit. You need to think about it this way. We used to think, stop eating all these foods, right? That's what we used to think. You can't have any of these foods, especially the foods you love. Think about it this way. Have as many of the foods you love as possible while still getting results. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about here. That's the Goldilocks effect. What's your favorite way to measure results? I know you used to have a thriving practice. Right now you specialize a little bit differently. But when you were seeing clients on a regular basis, what was kind of the biometrics you were looking for? Like how did you actually monitor their progress? Was it circumference? Was it body fat? Was it DEXA? Was it blood work? I mean, what, what rang with you? I'm, I'm glad you're asking me this question because I have been all over the place with this. Yeah. Uh, bioelectrical impedance we used, uh, skin calipers I used for the longest time, and it, it was my most preferred. I've used everything. But now uh, what I use is I use an online shape tracking uh, measurement, which takes into account weight, circumference, and, and waist and hip ratio, and west, uh, chest and uh, waist ratio. Hips, waist, chest. And this tells us for women about the hourglass shape, which is the healthiest and most attractive shape for a woman. And for a man, the V shape, which is the healthiest and most attractive shape for a man. And so when I look at this, I'm looking at body fat percent. And I'm also looking at, are we making a difference in these shape changes? Because that's what's going to get you, you know, the so-called swimsuit body that everyone wants. And so when I'm, when you come in, if you were a client of mine, you're going to sit down. Typically, I'm going to see you once per week. And I'm going to say, how's your heck doing? Is your heck in check or not? And then I'm going to say, did we get results or not? Did your hourglass shape move closer to an hourglass shape? Did your body fat percent drop? Did your V-shape get closer to a V-shape? And then quarterly, I'm going to be looking at blood labs as well. And then from there, we're going to tweak. If heck is in check and you're losing body composition, then we are golden. Mm -hmm. And that's where we stay until things change. Let's talk about the myths, man. I mean, you have a lot of information in the book. But I think what's most powerful for people is understanding just the key elements of all the crap that's out there. Let's cut through it. You've done a good job of that yep. in your book, a really good job. The first myth is, you know, this myth of burning fat and building muscle at the same time. Unpack that myth for us. This myth is really, there's really two in this. The first one I would say is the law of metabolic compensation is what I called it, which is essentially what we already talked about. The idea that the metabolism is more like a boomerang than it is a calculator. In other words, you eat less and exercise more. The metabolism puts into effect all kinds of compensatory mechanisms that make you what? Want to exercise less and eat more. In other words, the very things you're doing are making it far less likely you'll be able to continue doing them. We had a big, huge, monumental study that came out on The Biggest Losers. Hopefully you guys, maybe some of you guys heard this. And essentially what they showed is that The Biggest Losers always become The Biggest Gainers and then have permanent metabolic damage as a result of that which we've been talking about, those of us in the industry who know have been talking about this for 10 plus years, but now people are starting to understand. That's the first law. The first law, the first myth is that you'll get sustainable, predictable, linear, consistent, fair results if you just follow some rule book. That is wrong. There is nothing linear, predictable, or fair about weight loss. Sorry, there just isn't. So that's the first myth. The way it usually works is it's up and down, back and forth, trial and error. The second myth is what you allude to, which is this idea that the metabolism can automatically burn fat while it's building muscle. It does not like to do this with two notable exceptions, beginners and those on anabolic steroids. Anyone else who's been dieting and exercising for a while 
the body either likes to be in burning mode. They call it catabolism. It likes to be burning fat and muscle or it likes to be in building mode. Anabolism, building fat and muscle. And you see this all over the gym, right? Runners typically get the skinny fat look because, yes, runner, running burns fat. It also burns a little bit of muscle. So they tend to look skinny and fat and perhaps flabby. And then you have the guys on the other end who aren't doing cardio, but they're eating a bunch of protein and just lifting weights, and they tend to get muscle fat. I would fall more into this category, sort of this big, bulky guy who's mm-hmm. got a Me little too. extra fat on him, right? And so the metabolism has this sort of thing that it does not like to multitask. And so in order to get this right, take into account this first myth and this second myth, what we need to know is we need to know that we have to be changeable in our approach. We think it's eat less, exercise more. That's just one approach. Another approach everyone knows is eat more, exercise less. But there's two more approaches. Eat less, exercise less, which is the European model, and eat more, exercise more, which is the athlete model. What athlete in his right mind right, is going to be training for his or her sport and then cutting calories? They don't do that. Mm-hmm. They train to perform. And so now we have four ways that we can do this. The reason why eat less, exercise more is so horrible is because people do it and it alone. The metabolism is changeable. Remember, the metabolism is adaptable. It's reactive. And so it's laughing at you when you're saying, oh, I'm going to eat less, exercise more. And it goes, oh, you are? Well, I just adapted to that 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. Well, you're like, okay, metabolism, I'm going to eat even less and exercise even more. And it goes, Okay, I'm going to adjust to that too. And now you're only having 800 calories and doing 10 miles a day on the, on the machine. What are you, stupid? That's how your metabolism is functioning because it adjusts and adapts. And so these two laws that we're talking about, the law of metabolic compensation and the law of multitasking, essentially are saying we need to be better at adjusting our approach. Let me give you a quick example to drive this home so it doesn't get so esoteric for people. The example I like to use is a busy business person or uh, you know who's – Essentially, let's say that this, this business person, she or he, is uh, working like crazy during the week and is traveling and is in meetings and doesn't really have time to worry about exercise. And so they're not exercising, so they eat less. They eat a low-calorie sort of diet and eat less, exercise less approach. They're moving, they're walking, they're trying to get their steps in, but they're really not lifting weights or doing metabolic conditioning or doing any of this crazy stuff. They're just sort of eating less and sort of trying to move as much as possible, but just trying to get through the day. Then the weekend comes and now they're going to hang out with friends, drink some beers and maybe get a burger and maybe get some pizza. And they also can hit the gym because they have time. Now they're in eat more, exercise more phase, right? And this is how they live. Eat less, exercise less during the week, eat more, exercise more during the weekend. And their metabolism likes this. The metabolism likes this back and forth. And then every once in a while, let's say they go on vacation and they go down to the Caribbean and they're parasailing, rock climbing, riding horses, hiking, you know, biking, all this stuff. And they're really not thinking about food because they're doing so much activity. Now they're in an eat less, exercise more uh, sort of approach, but they're only going to be there for 10 days, 7 to 10 days. And that, for that short period of time, that's beneficial for them as long as they don't keep doing it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It's only 14 Mm -hmm. days. And then let's say over the holidays, they go to the East Coast. They're from New York City maybe and it's freezing cold and there's snow all over the ground and they're hanging out with eating food and they they can't get out and move and they're just sort of in the house. Now they're in an eat less or eat more, exercise less place. But it's fine because it's only for seven to 10 days and the metabolism deals with that. And Mm. this is how the metabolism likes to be. It likes to be moving around in this way. The worst thing you can possibly do to your metabolism is leave it in this static, one size fits all, 
uh, sort of approach. I'm just going to eat less and exercise more. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to eat less and exercise more. That's all I'm going to do. That, the metabolism is laughing at you. It is just like, what are you, an idiot that you continue to do this? This is insanity. And this is how these two laws work. So we have to get more savvy about this. And by the way, people who are living this lifestyle tend to do this naturally. They tend not to, they just tend to do this naturally. Every now and then they'll have sort of a refeed. Oh, I'm going down to hang with my friends. Maybe I have some beers and some pizza. I'll take a week, I'll take a day off here or there. They're not obsessive about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And they kind of gradually get to this very intuitive approach. That's the approach we want to be using. So these two myths are really sort of brought together in this sort of uh, idea about this busy business person who's using these different stages of their life or different ways of living to maximize metabolic potential. Man, I could totally hit with this because like as I shared on previous videos actually and I've talked about it in a few podcast episodes, this is the, exactly the lesson I'm learning right now about what you're talking about. Because in the past, I have kind of had a more natural way of eating, of paying attention to my heck, of paying attention to my metabolism. But right now, like this is actually what I'm dealing with is learning, hey, when new life stressors come in, what do I need to do to adjust my heck? Like how do I actually adjust like how I'm feeling versus what I'm eating? So I'm like in that journey right now. The second myth you talk about is all you need to worry about is calories. Now we know this is BS, but tell us why this is BS. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really like this. Um, the metabolism, when you cut calories indiscriminately, the metabolism fights back against you, increases hunger, energy, and cravings, and then does something really, really sneaky. Then it actually decreases your metabolic rate, your burn rate, because the metabolism is, again, a seesaw pendulum. So it says, oh, you're going to cut back on food. That means I'm starving. And so I am going to do everything I can to make it very difficult for you to burn up this fat. The metabolism is so intelligent. And so what you need to do is convince the metabolism that it is not starving. And by that, that means you might have to eat more at times. That's why you want to go eat more, exercise more, perhaps. If you look at it strictly from a calorie phenomenon, you only have one tool and one tool only. And all you're looking at is this, how many can I burn? And how few can I eat? And that's going to get you in trouble every single time. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten me in trouble right now because if you look at my quantifications, I just did a post for Wellness FX. On paper, I should be ripped as crap. Like I should be like, uh, you know, but it's not happening. So I'm a real life example of why your myth is actually truly yeah. a myth. The third myth yeah. is hormones. In, hormones work in isolation. They're either good like HGH or they're bad like cortisol. Why is this such a myth? Why do people not understand this piece? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. People, I call these mechanism chasers, these people, they learn a cool mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm a biochemist by trade, actually. And so to me, it kind of always makes me a little bit, you know, sort of chuckle because I'm just like, it's not that simple. I mean, people like to mechanism chase. So they learn, for example, that, ooh, carbs increase insulin levels. And because insulin is a fat storing hormone, then that means that if I just cut carbs, I can get my insulin down low and I'll burn fat, right? That's what we think. Except for the fact that we don't realize that calories in general stimulate insulin as well, not just carbs. So if you eat, eat 4,000 calories of something, even if you're doing low carb, uh, you're still going to release insulin. And you don't understand that when you are not eating carbs, you release too much cortisol, which can make you insulin, insulin resistant as well. And you can get fat off of stress versus off of food. In other words, the metabolism has multiple directions that it goes, multiple mechanisms that are overlapping. And so by you mechanism chasing and focusing on one mechanism, this is why you're frustrating yourself. Um, I'll tell you this, just to drive this home. 
Uh, I like to use this analogy, and this is, this is not going to give you any to-dos, but this is going to give you an example of how to think about hormones and biochemistry. Hormones are like people is the analogy that I like to use. So as people, right, if, if you and I, Josh, go out and hang out with a group of people, right, uh, in let's say at a dance club, we're going to behave differently. We're going to drink certain things. We're going to just be a little bit different. Maybe we'll dance. Maybe we'll have some you know, mm-hmm. shots. I don't I'm going to do the worm, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going to do the worm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be beatboxing. Who knows? But we're going to behave differently. Now, if we go to a high-end business event together in our industry, right, we're going to dress differently. We're going to have different conversations. We're going to do different things. This is how hormones work. Cortisol, when it is hanging around with, socializing with human growth hormone and testosterone, like it is, by the way, when you're fasting or doing metabolic conditioning or working out intensely, is a fat-burning hormone. Okay. Cortisol, when it's hanging around with insulin and high calories, becomes a belly fat storing hormone. And so this idea that cortisol is bad and insulin's bad. Insulin, by the way, is a very powerful hunger suppressing hormone. So if we have very low insulin, our heck is out of check constantly. So again, we want this Goldilocks point. And so people need to understand that we, insulin is a powerful muscle building. It is the most powerful muscle building hormone we have. Without insulin, you can't build muscle. And so the idea that insulin is bad and we just want insulin so low is what gets people in trouble. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It would be like me and you. I don't know if you, you, you know a little bit more about computers, but it's kind of like me being like learning one line of code and being like, oh, I can go program an app now. Mm-hmm. This, that one mechanism. And, and if I tried to go into an app and put in that one line of code, I could blow up the whole app. And this is what is happening with people with this idea of, oh, I get it. I'm just going to cut carbs down to nothing. That will work for some people, and this is typically how it works, by the way. Do anything, and what you'll typically see is a distribution pan out. 30% will get results, and they'll be the most vocal because they got results. Mm-hmm. 30%, nothing will happen for and 30% will get worse. And everyone will tell these 30% that they got worse because they just can't be compliant. But let me point this out to you. If you're following a program that doesn't allow you to be compliant, it's the program. Let me say that again. If you have someone in my mind as a coach – if I'm coaching someone and they can't be compliant on a program that I give them, it's not that they're gluttons and lazy. It's that I am a bad coach. I have not helped them create a program that keeps them compliant. That is a very different way to think about it. So you yourself, everyone who's listening to this, you need to think about it's not that you're lazy. It's not that you're a glutton. Stop beating yourself up. It's simply because you're trying to apply your metabolism to a one-size-fits-all diet book or guru or someone who told you. You're trying to follow Paleo Pauli's plan or Keto Kyle's plan or one of these off-the-shelf plans. Your metabolism doesn't fit an off-the-shelf plan. Your metabolism is your metabolism. Design a program that works for you and you'll stop feeling like you're a lazy glutton because now you can be compliant because it's built for you by you. We'll get right back to the conversation with Jade. One of the things that's really helped me in 2016 control my hunger, energy, and cravings is feeling full. I do this through many different sources of real whole foods, but sometimes we need more and we're on the go. That's when hydrolyzed collagen comes into play. This powdered collagen from Perfect Supplements is sourced from 100% grass-fed cattle with no hormones, synthetics, or pesticides. I mean, here's the lowdown. Healthy cows eat grass, sick cows eat corn. Then the sick cows that eat corn have to have antibiotics pumped into their system. Then we eat the antibiotics. 
Let's not do that. Beyond the healing powers of collagen for your digestive system and joint health from grass-fed cows, Hydrolyze Collagen has 20 grams of protein in just two scoops. This helps you feel more satiety and curbs your appetite. And grass-fed collagen contains up to five times as much omega-3s and twice as much CLA as grain-fed beef. Science has obviously shown CLA is associated with reduced body fat and other beneficial effects. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce Enter code WellnessForce at checkout, save 10% off hydrolyzed collagen and your entire order. Let's jump back to this fun and exciting conversation with Dr. Jade Tita. Next myth is about hormones and testing. You know, there's a gold standard in the quantified self movement and with a lot of FDN practitioners and just biohackers in general, without the results, without biomarkers and blood work, we can't optimally measure blood work and we can't really know what's going on. How do we get around this? I mean, like, you know, is there a good way to assess the balance of hormones without blood testing? Yeah, you guys are not going to like me on this, but, I, but let me just tell you where I'm coming from. Uh, you know, I've been in the personal training world 25 years. I've been in the natural health world 12 years. Okay, so from my perspective, and I've done a ton, a ton of testing, hormonal testing. And I'm going to tell you this without unequivocally. I have never really seen an approach where I took some hormones, found them out of balance, corrected the hormones, and all of a sudden someone started losing weight. Let me say that again because I think it's so shocking to people. I have never once in my clinical experience saw someone with out-of-balance hormones, just corrected the hormones through herbs and hormone replacement therapy and that kind of stuff, and then automatically saw them start losing results. I, I can tell you over and over again, this is what happens with menopausal women, by the way. They think, oh, if I go on HRT or, or bio, BHRT, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, I should just start losing weight. It does not work that way. And so the way I use it is instead of looking at hormones and trying to change hormones, I look at hormones. I say, okay, here's where we are. And then I get to work on diet, exercise, lifestyle, those kinds of things. And then I see how did that change the hormones and how are they uh, changing in sort of their body composition? How is their heck doing? How's their body composition doing? And I can tell you this pretty much unequivocally. When I get heck in check and the body composition starts moving in the right direction, lo and behold, these hormones start sort of figuring themselves out. TSH levels go down and start to normalize. Testosterone levels start going up and it starts to normalize. Your adrenal cortisol profiles, cortisol and DHEA start to look much better. And so from my perspective, we're doing this all wrong, where we basically say, oh, I'm going to get all these hormones and look at all these hormones and I'll just give some hormones or give some rhodiola hmm. or give some Vitex or do some of these things. And that should change everything downstream. It never does. I have never seen it happen. I'm being honest. I've done a lot of these. I've never seen it happen. Anyone who has seen it happen that way, please let me know. It usually works the other way around. You put in the lifestyle inputs, that's what moves the hormones. And so you're using the hormones to back check what you're doing here. Is heck in check? Yes. Am I losing body composition? Yes. Third, are my blood vitals, hormones, and all that kind of stuff optimizing? Yes. Now I got it right. Man, this brings up a point because what you're talking about and what I'm feeling is like if we change the markers, then everything will be okay. When really what that means is I won't actually have to change how I'm being in my life. If I can just get these biomarkers to change, 
then I won't have to adjust the fact that I'm not sleeping, the fact that I'm in a job I hate, the fact that I'm in a relationship I don't want. So it's like, it's this approach where people are so trying to just do the mechanism without really paying attention to the intention. Would you say that's correct? I say that's exactly correct. And again, it's another one of these examples of, oh, I'll just follow and eat less exercise more (laughs) approach. And if I do that, things will work out. No, change the body in a way, become a detective, look at these other parameters, and then you will automatically be more likely to eat less and exercise more without trying. That's what we're looking for. Last myth, man, it's, it's where people that are lean and people that are overweight, their metabolism works the same way. So what's going to work for Jane down the street, who's got 12% body fat, the athlete, is going to work for John, who's 22% obese. Why is this different? Why is that a total myth? When you, yeah, this is funny, right? Because when I was a young 20-something, lean, mean, fighting machine, I was looking around being like, what is the, what the hell's wrong with these people? I mean, they can't keep <laughs> chips out of their mouth. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're just lazy gluttons. Well, my metabolism was flexible. My metabolism was optimized. My metabolism wasn't stressed out. My metabolism was not unbalanced. You take an obese individual, and we know this from someone, let's just take insulin resistance, which everyone seems to know about nowadays, so I'll use it, but just let's keep in mind it's just one particular aspect of this. There's many other things going on. But let's just look at insulin resistance. When you are insulin resistant, your brain is not getting the signal of insulin. Your muscles are not getting the signal that insulin is there. Your brain and muscles are not getting fed in a sense, okay? Now, when that happens, and by the way, your brain doesn't need insulin to get glucose. It gets it through other mechanisms. But your brain does need insulin to tell it, hey, I'm not hungry anymore. So someone who's insulin resistant at the level of the brain is hungry all of the time. Someone who's overweight is insulin resistant. And so there's a reason that they are hungry all of the time. And so this idea that you're just, you just need to, you know, figure it out, dude. I mean, why are you being so lazy? It's that their brain is talking to them constantly. It would be like, it would be like, you know, sort of uh, being, trying to go to sleep with someone smacking you in the face every five minutes. You're not going to be able to do that. You can't stop the person smacking you in your face just by trying to try, try I'm going to will myself to sleep better. You're not going to stop the smack in the face, right? That's what's happening with an obese metabolism. And so does this mean that there's not things they can do? Absolutely. But what it means is this, that once we understand that, we can go, okay, this may be why intermittent fasting is not going to be the best idea for this beginning person. This may be why three square meals a day might work for the 10%, 20-year-old guy, but we might have to eat, make these people eat uh, more frequently, You know, maybe four to six meals per day. Now, I'm not saying that that's the approach, but I'm saying once you understand this, you start to realize that how am I going to manage this hunger issue? How am I going to manage this issue of someone who has hypothyroid? I'll tell you, I am 5'10", I am 230 pounds, I'm probably right now about 16, 17% body fat, okay? I have my good friend, my best friend Gary Lee, who's a past national bodybuilding champion, is 5'9", he's 195 pounds, much smaller than me. He can eat, no joke, probably 3,500 to 4,000 calories and not get fat. Does that just piss you off? (laughs) If I go over 2,000 calories, I start to put on fat. Now, how do I know this? Not because I'm counting calories all the time, but because I use calories to back check. So when my heck is in check and I'm losing fat, I look back and say, how many calories am I taking in? And on average, it'll be somewhere between 1,700 and 2,200 calories. See how I use calories very different? in that regard. But because I have hypothyroid, 
I'm, I should be burning way more calories than him, shouldn't I? Basal metabolic rate. I should need, I should be able to eat like him. I can't. My metabolism isn't the same as his. So not only are obese people's metabolisms not the same as lean people, but each obese person is different and each lean person is different. And so I call this the law of metabolic individuality. Uh, and essentially what that means is do what works for you, but also understand that if you're already overweight and obese and have insulin resistance, then some of these off-the-shelf approaches that this 30% over here who's nice and lean are telling you is the best approach in the world may not work for you. Mm-hmm. It might. How do you know? Well, if you start doing it and your heck goes out of check within three to four days and you're wanting to scarf down a cheesecake, then you need to give up on that because that is not going to work for you. And yeah. what happens is too often people go, oh, I'm a lazy glutton. I can't do it. And so they eat the cheesecake for another three days and they try that same approach again. And what happens is they get in sort of this starve binge cycle. I'm going to not eat. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to will myself not to eat. And then they end up eating like crazy simply because they're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. They're trying to take this obese metabolism and their individual metabolism and try to treat it like it's this lean metabolism. You know, um, some of my favorite books, like, you know, a book called Eat, Stop, Eat by Brad Pilon, which sort of popularized intermittent fasting. I would love that approach for some of my clients, right? Simply does not work for many people. It does work for a lot. They tend to be very flexible, lean individuals to start with versus the overweight. So this is what we mean by that. So people that have metabolic damage, I mean, how do we know this? There's a few markers in your book you talk about, you know, for somebody that's just driving willpower, like white knuckling, right? Willpower doesn't work. I mean, maybe it works for a little bit, but then eventually, like, we got to rely on something else. And how do we know if we're in this metabolic damage? You talk about, you know, 35 inches plus waistline for women, 40 inches, uh, inability to keep that heck in check, and then different yep. biomarkers. But I mean, for, for really understanding metabolic damage, there's a person that I respect very much. It's Jimmy Moore. And he talks about this a lot and he unpacks kind of like his approach and what he's doing. But then he admits to having metabolic damage first. What is this metabolic damage? How do we know we have it? And is it possible to reverse this? Well, first of all, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. Uh, I, I loathe the term metabolic damage, but I also, I do think it's a good term simply because it explains in some people's mind, okay, something is broken. Sounds kind of scary too. But, but here's the thing that it really is. I, I'll, I'll unpack this for you really well. Most people do not have metabolic damage, okay? There's three, there's three stages. There's metabolic compensation, metabolic resistance, and then metabolic damage. So metabolic compensation just means you've been on a diet, you did fine for the first 10, 14 days. And uh, as a result of that, your body started to compensate and your weight loss results showed slowed down. You started getting hunger, energy, and cravings, started getting out of check, and uh, fat loss slowed or started to reverse. Very easy to deal with metabolic compensation. All you got to do is what you and I, Josh, are talking about, which is essentially stop doing just one approach. Move from an eat less, exercise more approach to eat less, exercise less, or eat more, exercise more, and you're going to get results. Some, some people do this uh, by accident. You ever heard someone who said, oh, you just need to eat more, right? You ever hear that where mm-hmm. someone's eating less and exercising more and then uh, someone says, you need to eat more and it works. Why? Because you just went from an eat less, exercise more approach to an eat more, exercise more approach and it'll work. So when dealing with metabolic compensation, all you have to do is move to one of these four toggles. Remember I talked about it. If you're an eat less, exercise more, you can go to eat less, exercise less or you can go to eat more, exercise more. You even can for a time go to eat more, exercise less and that can work for you. So metabolic compensation is pretty easy to take care of, and that's what most people are dealing with. Then there's metabolic resistance, right, where it's uh, this approach where it's like now no matter what I do, 
I've tried to fool around. I've done some refeeds and stuff like that. And mm. now I can't get the approach. Here you want to go back and forth from eat less, exercise less, and eat more, exercise more. You want to sort of make sure that you're, you're basically going back and forth from two balanced states. Maybe spend a week, two, and eat less, exercise less, take some time off, you know, uh, smell the roses, so to speak, and then come back and hit it for a short period of time. Then relax again. Then hit it for us. That will typically joggle you out of metabolic resistance. Mm-hmm. Now, metabolic damage, by the way, the signs and symptoms of metabolic compensation are just you hit a plateau. The signs and symptoms of metabolic resistance is you're starting to feel some fatigue. You're starting to lose some motivation. And you're really not getting results no matter what you do. It's really just feeling like you're slogging through the mud. Now, most people will never move past this. But some people, and by the way, this is just stress, right? Metabolic compensation is some stress. Metabolic resistance is a lot of stress on the metabolism. And then metabolic damage, we didn't used to call it metabolic damage. We would just call it by what we saw show up in the clinic, hypothyroid, adrenal uh, fatigue, uh, by the way, which is still not an official diagnosis, just so people know. Adrenal insufficiency is, adrenal fatigue is not. But we would see all these kind of signs and symptoms. All of a sudden, they become chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, all these sort of things. Typically, when you have metabolic damage, you're seeing loss of menses, you're seeing joint pain, you're seeing mm. sleep disturbances, you're seeing uh, you know, things that are really you know, uh, detrimental that will make you go to see the doctor. And when this happens, your only approach here is eat less, exercise less, and rest and recovery. And sort of, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you have to do a, any number of things. But most people do not get to metabolic damage, you know, so-called metabolic damage. Most people, what they're calling metabolic damage is metabolic compensation, and metabolic resistance. And those two things are pretty easy to deal with. Hmm. To deal with metabolic compensation, do what I tell you. It's going to take one to three weeks before you get results. To deal with uh, metabolic resistance, do what I tell you. It's going to take anywhere from one to three months to get results. You get into metabolic damage over here, you're talking three to 15 months of recovery from that based on my clinical experience working with these people. This takes a long time. And these people are dealing with things that are not very simple at all. And so I know the term metabolic, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up, by the way. Uh, it's, uh, I know this term gets thrown around. I do kind of like it, but I do think that if we're going to use the term metabolic damage, we do need to understand what we're really talking about. And to me, metabolic damage means you actually got a physical diagnosis uh, from overstressing your system, which eating less and exercising more to the extreme, make no mistake about it, it can put many people into this state. Now, if you're a young 20-some-year-old person listening to this, you might be scoffing at that notion. Well, just wait till you're 30 or 40. Yeah, exactly. Things we'll change just in your 30s. remember this conversation. <laughs> totally. Things change. Well, then where does the spiritual and the emotional plug in? Because we have this willpower that we understand is not sustainable, especially when we look at decision fatigue. How does the emotional piece plug in? Like when you're seeing clients that are dealing with, or even personally, you know, like we're all human beings, man. We're all on this journey together. We're trying to figure this thing out and make sense of it. And, yep. and stress happens. And emotional, you know, breakups happen and things occur. How do we keep our heck in check in these moments of extreme dire straits where we're dealing with strife and just the crap of life? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that we need to sort of redefine uh, what we are talking about here. Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, you like Charles Duhigg. So do I. Mm -hmm. His new book is very good. And in his new book, I I love, I think it's his new book. He talks about the idea of uh, the Marines. Right. The Marines when, uh, are trained whenever they're going through a very difficult time, like in boot camp or a, a, a very difficult training regime or they're in battle. Their fellow Marines ask them the question, why? 
Why are we doing this? And the other person will answer and it connects them back to their bigger purpose. Okay. So the first thing I would say here is that we lose sight of the fact that why are you even putting yourself through all this stuff with your looks? Why are you so worried about piercings and tattoos and a lean body and you know your hair a certain way and this, this, and this? Is that really – I posted this actually on my Instagram feed the other day. Is that really uh, – do you think people are going to look back and just be like, man, I'll tell you what, Jade, he was just such a good-looking guy and his good looks made such, made such a difference for me. Or Josh was such a good-looking man and his good looks just really helped me and did, did, did so much for me. No, what they're going to say is Josh was, made me feel a particular way, inspired me in a particular way, taught me a particular thing. So what I, And I know this is sort of getting maybe off topic from metabolism a little bit, but it's not because it's everything. The first thing that you need to do to get through the tough times is first establish in the hierarchy, what do you care more about? Are you worried more about your legacy? And what you stand for and meaning, or are you worried about your tattoos, your piercings, and your look and your hair? Now, don't get me wrong. We're humans, all of us. Mm -hmm. I'm human. I'm vain. You're vain. We're all vain. As humans, we are. And so there has to be a degree of vanity. It's what keeps us wanting to be healthy and stuff. But when that vanity starts to dominate over your meaning and your message, now you're in spiritual trouble in my mind, and I would say that's why you're having a very difficult time staying on anything. You'll see it throughout your life, by the way. Not mm. only can you not stay on a diet, but your relationships are breaking up, and you're not able to do, manage money well. And all these things start falling apart because you're not coming from a place of meaning. You're not living your passion and your purpose and your meaning. And so all of a sudden, you start looking for pleasure or power, right? Yep. Victor Frankl, one of my favorite psychologists, he talks about the three drives, the three wills. Well, there's the will to power, the will to pleasure, and the will to meaning. The will to meaning is the most powerful one. And so if we don't have a strong will to meaning, we will automatically default back to the will to power, money, and pleasure, food, sex, drugs, that kind of thing. That's the first thing I'll say. Get very clear with your meaning and your why. And when shit gets tough, mm -hmm. you ask, why am I doing this? The second thing I would say in this regard is that we need to be thinking about what I call rest-based living, okay? which essentially means that it's not diet and exercise. It's everything you're doing around that that allows you to do diet and exercise. And that is stuff like hanging out in a hot bath, sauna, hanging out with friends and enjoying company and loved ones, uh, sex and physical affection, uh, massage, foam rolling, um, uh, you know, um, tai chi, restorative yoga, leisure walking through the woods in the park, hanging out with your pets, doing meaningful stuff, all this stuff that sort of relaxes and helps us recover. Uh, when I tell people to eat less, exercise less, I tell them I want you doing three or more R&R &R workouts per week. And they're like, Jade, what is an R&R &R workout? I mean anything that lowers cortisol and stress hormones, naps, sex, massage, uh, meditation, walking, uh, not power walking, you know, slow walking time with friends, all of these kinds of things. Take time to stop and smell the roses. And what that does is recharges and rebuilds our willpower battery so that we can focus energy over here. So not only do we have to have our big why and make that more important than how we look, but we also have to really be thinking about rest-based living and what are we doing to cultivate our energy, to restore and recover and adapt. The body cannot, look, our engine cannot just go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. It's going to fall apart. And we are going to suffer the consequences uh, as a result of that. The final thing I'll say here is we now know that willpower, most people have heard this now, is like a battery. And uh, our willpower battery gets drained. 
What we may not know is that willpower battery is made up of three smaller batteries, the physical battery, the mental battery, and the emotional battery. And so rest-based living allows us to charge these up. So you want to be doing things that are stimulating the mental side. You want to be doing things that are helping you get physically stronger. That's where exercise comes in. But mo- most importantly, you want to be doing things that are charging up your emotions. This is where relationships come in. This is where doing something that feeds your, uh, your meaning comes in. These things are not separate from your metabolic work. And if you're struggling and you're unhappy and you're focusing and you're trying to you know, fix your body because that's going to so-called make you happy, I think we could say, I got news for you. That's not going to do it. Uh, someone, again, just like we talked about, it's not, you know, it's not cut calories, lose weight, get a balanced metabolism. It's get a balanced metabolism, naturally you know, cut calories. And then you'll lose weight. It's the same thing here. It's not get this thing and be happy. It's become happy and restored and choose that first. And then the other things will come into play. They call it the as if principle in psychology, which means act as if you have the thing right now, as if you're a method actor, right? You know, method acting is just like mm-hmm. if you want to something, you have to be that thing now. If you want to be a fit, lean individual, you have to method act, pretend. Act it out. What does a fit, lean person do? A fit, lean, happy, vital person do? How do they be? How do they act day in and day out? And now you start to act like that. And as a result of acting like that, you'll start to see that you're having some of the outcomes that they have. It's like one of my all-time favorite quotes in the world is Ralph Waldo Emerson, do the thing and you'll have the power. So it's like by taking inspired action on a consistent basis, I mean – this is really what produces results. Man, we're getting to the end of the show. I want to respect your time, man. This has been such a great talk with you. Um, just these last quick questions. This is totally off the top of your head. We'll, we'll bang them out quickly because it's seven questions and just whatever comes up. Are you down? Yeah, I'm down. Okay, so what makes you laugh the most in life? <laughs> man, I'll tell you what. For me, I love goofiness. My favorite, my, you know, it's, I, I just love goofy, slapstick type of stuff. I, if people who know me, I like shock value. So I'll just say random, crazy stuff to people. Uh, I love my favorite uh, movie is The Waterboy. Anyone ever see that? That's <laughs> yeah. kind of my sense of humor. Yeah. So that, that stuff makes me laugh, just doing random, ridiculous, you know, funny things. Mm. What's your favorite thing to eat? Like you work out, you have a great workout. What do you go for? What's your favorite post-workout meal? Well, my favorite post-workout meal when I'm getting results is mm-hmm. just my, my craving shake, a, a protein shake. But uh, my favorite food in general, like if you said, hey, Jay, what, what would be your go-to? Uh, yeah. a, a slice, a good slice of New York-style pizza, man. That's what, that's what I would want uh, you know, sort of in my brain. What, um, what's something that you see in the fitness industry that's a roadblock to why more coaches of all types are not embracing more emotional intelligence in their work? Uh, To me, and I don't want this to come across judgmental because I am this, I am this, Mm -hmm. what I'm getting ready to say. We all are as humans. It's ignorance and arrogance. It it comes down to those two emotions. If we can stop being so ignorant and look outside of our own boxes and we can stop being so arrogant with sort of what we know, uh, that frees up everything. It allows us to see each person, have empathy for each person, meet people where they are, and to realize that our way is not the only way. And that opens up all the potential for what we were talking about, metabolic individuality. I feel very, very attached to that because I was a very ignorant, arrogant person in the past, still Mm. deal with it because I'm human, but it held me back and it held my clients back. If you could sit across the table from Jade at 18, what would you tell him and and would he listen? (laughs) Yeah, I love these questions, man. He wouldn't have listened, by the way, uh, at 18, Um, but I would have told him to... uh, 
to have empathy and more compassion, that he wasn't the center of the universe. And that uh, just what we talked about before, that his meaning, that your meaning, where you're going to find most of your meaning is in helping people, inspiring people, motivating people. And the faster you can get started with that, the happier you will be. Do you have a specific mantra or a message that you tell yourself when you're feeling stressed or when you're having one of those down moments? Do you have a, a, a saying that you say to yourself? I do, actually. I have a couple of them. Uh, easy is earned is one of my favorites. And essentially what that says to me is um, that we all think things are supposed to be easy. But in my life, what I've learned is that you easy is an earned response. So now I can look back and people say, how do you know all this stuff? You just rattle this stuff off. It's because I studied it for years and years and years. And there were times where I slogged through and were looking for answers. And the other one is meaning over money and memories over money. Meaning that when I get stressed about finances or I worry about where I'm going to invest money or business isn't going so well, I ask myself, what is more important? And to me, those are the two mantras I use all the time. When I'm in the weeds, I'm like, easy as earned, Jade, easy as earned. And when I'm feeling like I'm sort of lost and I'm stressed and I'm getting sort of more into the will to power and the will to pleasure, I go, meaning over money, bro. Memories over money. Because I think those you know, basically get me back into my power. Last question, man. What's wellness to you? I mean, if you had to define wellness, what's your personal definition of wellness? It's, it's very simple and it's hard to, it's hard to put your finger on, but it is a place where I am not limited by my physical energy, my psychological sort of energy or my, my sort of fears. It's this place of sort of feeling vital and empowered. Uh, everyone knows what this feels like. We have glimpses of it sometimes. Maybe we have a particularly good day. We're driving down the street in the car and the music's on and it touches a part of us. We're just like, life is good, man. I feel good. We all know what that sort of feels like. To me, that's when I can feel like that more in my day, that's when I'm feeling. That to me is wellness. And by the way, I would say this. It doesn't mean that I am without disease or without signs and symptoms and that kind of stuff. It just essentially means that I am in control and feel vitally empowered and that I can empower others. Uh, so to me, it's not just about me, by the way. This kind, of, this kind of emanates outside of me. Wow, man. Good answer. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? You're writing a new book. Uh, it's going to be released next year, right? And it's drawing from all your life experience with clients and, and the metabolism, but it's more about personal growth. It's more about yeah. this edge that really like drew me into your work. Honestly, it yeah. drew me into your work. When I came across you on social, you told me something in person and it struck with me. It, it, it was a fear PR. And can you just unpack this really quickly, man, with this fear PR piece? I'm, I'm making the jump from health and fitness into personal development. I see them as the same really as you do. And you, you and I talked about this. Yeah. The book will be called the five powers. And essentially it is uh, what I have learned about how to become successful, the yellow brick road of success, so to speak. Uh, and what you're referring to is one part of the book. The acronym for the five powers, by the way, is power. So perception, ownership, right? The W is wisdom. And then the E is engagement. And the last one is resolve. Well, in resolve, resolve is one of this power where the shit gets tough and you're scared and you don't want to fail. And you, know, you have to build resilience or resolve. That's what keeps things going. And the way to build that is to the same way we do it in the gym. 
where if I want to get stronger on a lift, I have to incrementally challenge my body each time. So I like to squat. I'm an old school, you know, so I'm squatting right up near, you know, a 500 pounds at this point. And so if I want to go for my PR, right, and go for like a 520 lift on the squat, that is a scary, scary place to be. I don't want that on my back. I, I would rather not do that. But I know that if I want to get better and keep improving on the squat, I must add those two and a half pounds on there and get my best and do my best and go for my PR. Well, it's the same thing with the fear PR. If I'm afraid to be alone, this is the example I like to give. If I'm afraid to be alone, I don't just like all of a sudden say, hey, I'm going to run off and, you know, uh, you know, go off to a, 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 a foreign country where I don't speak the language and that, that will do it. That's too scary. But the brain, the brain is watching you all the time. Uh, it watches you the way you watch other people. It judges you the way you judge or the way it judges other people. So what you're doing convinces the brain to be you know, it says, oh, Josh is doing X, Y, Z. Josh must be that kind of person. So if you want to be someone who's not afraid to be alone, you got to convince the brain through actions. And so your first action might be, I'm going to go to a movie by myself, which is sort of easy because once you buy your ticket, sort of, all you, then you're in the movie and the movie sort of goes and you don't, it's just going in and going out. That's like a movie. mini PR, yeah. It's a fear PR, right? Yeah. The next level fear PR would be that, okay, now I'm going to go to dinner by myself. And that's kind of nerve wracking because now I got to interact with people the whole time. And then the next fear PR might be like, now I got to go to dinner and not bring my cell phone, right? <laughs> I don't know if people could do that. <laughs> yeah. And the next fear PR would be like, maybe now I'm going to go to a hotel in a city that I know uh, for the weekend by myself and have to manage this city, you know, by myself. Um, and the, the final fear PR, you know, the brain's like, wow, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And maybe the final fear PR is I travel to Paris. Maybe I've never been. Uh, and... Uh, I don't speak the language. I don't speak French. And I'm going to be there for a week. And all of a sudden, you have now created a way of living that teaches you to attack your fear PRs. And all of a sudden, you're a whole different person. Can you imagine following this sort of line, this trajectory, which I've done with many of my clients and done with myself, and how powerful that is in changing everything about how we are? And so this next book will cover that, that this, this sort of uh, aspect. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I want to end the show with a quote that I actually got from an email that you had sent me, our first email, and it's from Roman philosopher Seneca. And it's your greatest difficulty is with yourself, for you are your own stumbling block. You do not know what you want. You are better at approving the right course than at following it out. You see where true happiness lies, but you have not the courage to attain it. That is such a beautiful way to cap the show because I think from metabolism to mindset to development, this really rings true for me personally, man. So thank you for your sharing your gift on the show, what you do and inspiring me, man. It's been a joy to get to know you and, and to share your work. Ditto, brother. I really so appreciate you. Thanks to the listeners. And uh, you're the man, Josh. Thanks for what you do, bro. Thanks, Jade. Be good. I can't even tell you guys how much I love this conversation with Dr. Jade Tita. That wraps up the episode for today. You can learn more at wellnessforce.com slash Jade, J-A-D-E. You can get all the links for Dr. Tita's book, Lose Weight Here, as well as The Metabolic Effect Diet. This is also going to be a special video episode. So head on over to the blog. You'll be able to see me and Dr. Jade talk face-to-face -face via Skype. It's actually a cool recording. It's kind of fun. I'm going to do some more of these kind of face-to-face -face recordings. See if you guys like that. If you do, let me know. Tweet me at Wellness Force or all over on social Wellness Force. 
what are you up to this week? I'm headed out to see a friend in Oregon, going to get some forest bathing time. Really important that we always get some time in nature beyond just the vitamin D. I'm going to suggest that every week, even if you live in the trenches of the city, if you're listening in New York, there's so many ways to get out in nature and enjoy yourself. Let this be the sign you were looking for to get out there and go on the trails this weekend. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support Wellness Force Radio by leaving a quick review right from your iPhone. You can just go to wellnessforce.com slash review. Your voice is gold and it inspires other people on their journey of wellness. Now, all you have to do is go create an amazing day with the energy and inspiration from Dr. Jay Tita and every other guest we've had on the show. So until I see you again very soon next week, I'm wishing you love and wellness.